0: Namo Tassa <coughs> Bhagavato, Arahato, Samma Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Arahato, Samma Namo Tassa Bhagavato arahato sammasambhutasam bhutang dhammang sangkhang namasami So it's very auspicious that we are here together today on this full moon of May. Vaisak, Puja and it's the it's like the most... Um, there's, there are three festival days in the Buddhist, Buddhist year and the Vesak is like the most uplifting and joyful and, and uh, in some ways kind of very pure-hearted because it's really just about reco- recollecting the Buddha. The Buddha, you know, his life and uh, legacy and how that's touched our lives and I like to think about the, you know, the incredible interdependence of, of all things I mentioned the other day and you know, when we think about the the search of that one person the deep integrity and, and search of that one human being and their his willingness to travel and teach for about forty years into his eighties walking barefoot around India to teach the Dharma to those who were ready to hear it. And he you know, encountered all kinds of people. He was, you know, he was a teacher to kings and ministers and would go there's a story of him going a long way out of his way to teach a a weaver, a simple weaver who lived in a little hut. And uh, the Buddha, they would say that every morning the Buddha would scan the 10,000 world systems with his mind and see who is ready to hear the Dharma, who is ripe for the teaching. And there's one lovely story that I really so enjoy where he he scans that he's in this area, and he sees that lots of people were devoted, lots of people were interested, but there was this one guy who worked in a little hut weaving. So he was quite poor, worked hard, and uh, but his mind was ripe, his heart was ripe for the Dharma. So the Buddha walked to this the place where this near where this man lived, and. Uh, and was received by many people. Many people were excited. Oh, the Buddha's coming! And you know, they have laid on a big feast. And and uh, and after the the meal, they were asking, you know, please share, teach the Dharma. But this this uh, weaver hadn't managed to to get there yet. He hadn't managed to make it yet. He was busy and we trying, to, having to sort out things and he was on his way, and so the Buddha just remained silent. And then again they'd ask him, please you know, teach us the Dharma, and he just sat there, quietly. And he waited until this man arrived, and his, he was exhausted and hot, and he'd had to, you know, the guy had to walk quite a long way. And then the Buddha made sure that he had something to eat. And then once this man was ready, then he taught the Dhamma to all of those people. So, uh, you know, he really, uh, you know, he shared generously. He shared for the, for the welfare of beings, for the, the liberation of beings, and he, you know, if there was anyone who was really ripe, he would, he would go out of his way, regardless of who they were, what their background was. He would go out of his way to make sure that they could hear the teachings and uh, realize their true potential. As a human being, so there are many wonderful stories uh, in, from the Buddha's time, and you know, today is the the day to to remember his birth, enlightenment, and final passing. So whether this, these all really happened on a on a full moon day in in the month of May, who knows? You know, but it's it's an opportunity to recollect. And just like all of us, you know, the Buddha was born, like all of us, and he, his body died, like all of our bodies will. That is the same as everybody else. But uh, what he did in the, in the middle is <laughs> pretty remarkable. So I think I'd like to reflect on this, you know, because we can kind of go along in life in a kind of humdrum way, get carrying on with the same old habits and you know, or thinking that we can't really change and we're always going to be like this so just kind of maybe make you know make the best of a bad job and you know. Or we might take the teaching and use it like a condiment on our life you know. We, we do all the things we want to do and then we like sprinkle a little meditation on top and you know. But uh, I always feel like the Buddha's message is really saying you know, you're born, you're going to die. Look at the potential that you have. See what, see what, you, see what the possibility is and, and, you know, keep keep opening your mind, keep stepping towards the truth. Keep investigating. Keep letting go of those long-held identities and, and habits and you know do it again and again and again and again because it's uh, it's it's a gradual path so we have to keep uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves and each other that of our potential and not just fall asleep again it's so easy to fall asleep <laughs> it's so easy to just kind of be lulled by all of the the many delights that there are available now to, to us as in the Western world. And in your pocket, you can have a smartphone with everything pretty much everything you need to do, you can do on that phone. <laughs> you know, you can if you've got a bit of money. And, you know, you can entertain have entertainment, you can go shopping with it, you can, you know connect with people, you can do all kinds of stuff and And yet, it pulls you out of yourself. So, I was sitting next to someone on the plane one time, and uh, he got out his phone and was looking in this phone, and we were sitting next to each other and we hadn't said hello or anything. And and I just noticed how he was so lost in that. It was like a portal into another world. And he was just like, all the energy was absorbed into that. And then he closed it and and recognized what he was doing. And then we had a conversation. and it's like, yeah, that's what it does, it's like it, it, you know, the the world is fascinating, the sense world is fascinating, it draws us in, it promises, it promises fulfillment and satisfaction and, uh, you know, everything we could wish for and yet, we follow it again and again and we find that that isn't the case, you know, we are satisfied for a few moments, gratified for a day or two, and then we're back with the, you know, the limitations of of uh, being a human being in an ever-changing world. So the Buddha was really pointing to our potential and encouraging our potential. And as part of that, you know, we've mentioned we've like everyone here is keeping the, the eight precepts during the retreat, and tomorrow we'll offer the five precepts. So that's like a That gives us a support to guide our lives in the right way. And, you know, the Buddha really understood more deeply than anyone else. He understood the emptiness of all things, he understood that, you know, sentient beings. We are. He spoke about the, no, not self, impermanence, not self, the dukkha of this life, and at the same time, he he lived and spoke of and encouraged and exercised great compassion within this sentient realm. So. Uh, in the monastic form we have many limitations around, you know, we can't and these have come through the Buddha, so the Buddha created the the Vinaya that we live by, the rules that we live by and things like not to harm a living plant so you know the first precept is not about taking the life of another living being, ours gets refined to not even we can't even pick a flower, I've picked some flowers from some flowers that already picked over there. But we can't pick a flower from a bush or cut a, you know, cut a um, prune a tree or... And we can't even dig the earth. So even digging the earth. I'm not sure if that was from the Buddha as much as, uh, in, the, in the Buddha's time there was like more, seems that there was like a Gaia theory, in the sense of the earth was a, a living being. And to dig the earth would be harming that uh, that organism. So uh, the, in the Buddha's time, some people complained that monks and nuns were digging the earth and hurting this uh, planet Earth through digging it. And uh, so the Buddha made a rule about not for us not digging the earth. So you know it's really it's, it's taking harmlessness to to the nth degree really. Any any possibility of harming to just not do that. and uh, So he was, you know, sensitive to the environment, to the the beings, human and non-human, that live in the environment, and you know, he taught in such a way that f- to to, rem- to remind people, to wake people up to our interrelatedness, interdependence with all things. And so to not intentionally harm any any sentient, any any f- being, you know, for like with the Five precepts, any living being for the monastics, any even, you know, living plant. To not harm intentionally anything. And you know, he also recognised that we have to eat and we have to live, and so it's not a, like a debilitating um, way. He uh, didn't set out like a debilitating narrowness of rules, but but to really be conscious and aware of how we live and how that affects others. And I feel that like that's it's directly connected with this insight, this knowing of our interdependence, our interbeing. So. Uh, now, in the you know, in this time in history, human beings—we've we've taken our separate identity, our individualism, and our need for comfort to such a degree, such a kind of insane degree, really—that we no longer we forget. We, we it's difficult for us to acknowledge or to see or to feel to know that we are interdependent with all things. So you look at. They you know, can go out and look at a forest. Many people will look at a forest and, and think, How much money can I make out of that, you know? <laughs> or, you know, many people probably not so many in this room, but many people will see a deer and think, Mm, that'll make a nice meal or two. You know, so we've we've lost the the relationship with nature. And also, because, because we got so distanced from, court, you know, that we, that we don't see the effects of our behaviour. There are so many steps in between. So, um, you know, we go to McDonald's and, and we don't see, you know, we just see, oh, a cheap meal, you know, that's good for the kids. Or, and we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. We don't see the effect of what we're doing because it's kind of hidden from us. You know, at one time it wasn't so hidden because you saw you know, the butcher killed the animal and then cut up the meat and he saw what it was and you knew what it was when he bought it and he and he cooked it and you ate it and now we've lost touch with that it's all kind of nicely hidden nicely packaged in plastic, and uh, maybe got a nice little picture cartoon of a smiling cow or something like that you know so we we kind of we we've we're we're disconnected from the reality of, uh, of, of life, really. So this practice, you know, it is about meditation, it is about transforming the inner world, our inner life, so that we can live in a more spontaneous and clear and kind way in the world. And it is also about recognizing, you know, what effect what are we putting out? What are we taking in? Because we're with every breath we are part of this interdependence. So if we look at that interdependence from one aspect we see the emptiness of all things, nothing is really separate. There is no real thing, no real person that you can kind of pin down. It's it's all this process that's affecting each other. And then you look at it from another perspective, it's every thought, act, in everything we say, everything we do, every intention that we follow has an effect in the world, (coughs) either positive or negative. And uh, you know, I don't want to frighten you, you know, we we can't uh, just only come from pure, wholesome intention. We've got to work at it. This is why I keep emphasizing the hindrances. We've got to work at it. We've got to find that again. But just to recognize, you know, if you you speak and act with a harmful intention, it, it has a harmful effect in the world. And likewise if we speak and act with ignorance, it's likely to have a harmful effect. In the world, so uh, you know. Sometimes it's when we look at, a, at the situation we're in now, the planetary situation, the you know even just uh, feeding this number of human beings on the planet. It's It's a major. It's a major uh, exercise. It's a huge thing. Um, Sometimes if we look at that, we can feel like, oh my goodness, and you know, it's all—it's all a bit uh, out of out of control, and and I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to put my head under the pillow, or I'm just going to sit and meditate and feel like breathe through that anxiety and feel good again. And uh, you know, I think it is good to resource <coughs> ourselves. It is good to have resources, but it is also important that we that we open our eyes and we look and take in what's going on and what effect we have in the world. You know, some of us have more than others. Some of us can influence things a lot, some a little. But to look at, you know, what, what do I want to do, do? What do I want to put out? What do I want to leave behind me when I go, when that final passing happens? and then to work towards that. So, you know, our our ego would like to just sort it all out and be the perfect person and do it. But then the reality is we've got to, you know, we've got who knows how long of karma, of habits, of tendencies to work through. So, you know, we need to pay attention, take care of what's going on here inside, but also pay attention and take care of what's going on outside and how how we affect that and how we are affected by that. So that we're not just lost in the world of the senses. That there's some wisdom operating. And you know one of the very strong messages of the Buddha in his life through the way he lived was the Message of renunciation and simplicity—not very popular words these days. Probably weren't then either, actually. That uh, you know that that one can have in you know, what what is enough. That you don't have to keep on having more and more and more, better and better. But what's enough, you know? And and what goes really beautifully with that question: What is enough? Is the the, um, the spirit and the movement of generosity? So when we're feeling a sense of lack, it's never enough. We're always needing more. We've always got to distract ourselves, or eat something, or go and do something, or get something. But when there's the when the heart is moved towards generosity, that in itself is fulfilling. It's already it's already full, somehow. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? It's full through giving. And this can come in, in, in many ways. It's a, it's a movement of the heart. So the more we can connect with that in our daily life, and it might be just giving time to someone, or just giving the benefit of the doubt, or giving attention, at a time when we feel like, oh, not again, I just can't be bothered. What about being generous? You know, just Let's just give attention at this moment to this situation and, and then there's a sense of like, maybe the other person feels, oh, that's enough. I'm fulfilled for some time. So... You know, as long as we're... we kind of... Mm, we're disconnected from our true nature. It's this—it's kind of this wandering, seeking, trying to get more, trying to get better, trying to be something else, and we're, we're constantly kind of roaming and and seeking and trying to get and trying to fulfil. And it's like a—it's like an endless process that never really gets anywhere. And so. You know, what the Buddha is pointing to is, is turning that completely the other way around, and instead of looking outside of ourselves to to find the fulfilment here, through you know, through generosity, through wisdom, through patience, through developing those qualities, kindness, compassion through endurance. This is also a very important part of the, the practice, to be able to endure difficulties. So, we haven't chanted the Four um, Requisites chant during this retreat, but he also speaks about, you know, being content with meal for this day, being content with a roof over the head for this night, that will ward off heat, cold, flies, mosquitoes, wind, burning, and creeping things. And uh, being content with the clothes that we have—you know, not always wanting more, better, more beautiful—and being content with with simple medicines, which I think is difficult in this country, but because uh, it's not set up for that. But you know, being content with with what medicines we can get. So learning to, to live within our means, really, rather than always outside of our means. So in America, they say American, the American population, of which we are all part, live as though there were six planets, and there is only one. And then there are other countries, I think Australia lives as though there are three, and. You know, so the the resources that we're using up here are phenomenal because of this endless searching and and wanting and trying to get and have more and be comfortable and have it just perfect so we don't have to feel the realities of life. (laughs) And uh, so we, we try to make it all comfortable on the outside because we're not comfortable on the inside because we haven't found a place of refuge within us. So the Buddha, you know, he was very radical in his his way of living. You know, going from being a very, very comfortably off young man to wearing rag robes, walking barefoot, living on alms food. You know, this is kind of an extreme. And and even within that context, he would he would pare that down even further. So it's like, well, if he could do that, and he you know, basically carried on doing that into his 80s, maybe we can give up a little something. Maybe we can give up a little comfort for the benefit of all beings. You know. So we had the air, con- air conditioning on for a little while, because it was really hot in the afternoons. But then, you know, in the evenings, it's still a bit hot and sticky, but it's okay. Trouble hearing me, because uh, as we, with the air conditioning, and you know, we, we cool the room and we heat the planet, so that's a, that's not a great cycle to be in. So just to just to recognise those those times when we when we're actually maybe enduring a little discomfort and learning from that might be the best approach. It might be the the most beneficial for our practice. So, I just uh, like to invite you to to look, you know, as you go back into your ordinary lives, out of retreat, just to look at ways you can do that, places that you can do that, and to see it as a as part of the practice, you know, something to rise up to. It can bring you joy if you do it in that way, instead of like, oh, you know, I've got to give this up, I've got to give that up. It's like, wow, oh, you know. Actually, I can live without this, or I can, I can, I can endure this. It's, uh, it can be strengthening. So it's the practice. The practice is our spiritual practice, our inner awakening. And it's also the practice that we take out into the world, how we relate, how we inter-relate. And, uh, and the Buddha is a, an exquisite example that we can use as like a guiding star.